Welcome to an inspiring message from Awaken City Church. For more information about us, visit awakencity.com.au. Hey, can I just pray and we'll get into the Word. Father God, I just, I'm in awestruck wonder of Your goodness here today. And I ask, Lord God, as we focus in and zero in on what You want to say to us as a people, I ask that we will have ears to hear and eyes to see what You're doing in amongst us. Lord God, I ask that we would echo the words of Joshua as he prepared the people of Israel to enter into the promised land where he said, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things amongst us. So Lord, I put ourselves before You and I say, would You do amazing things amongst us? Would You shape us? Would You mould us? Would You transform us into the likeness of Your Son, Jesus? In Jesus' mighty Name. Amen. Amen. We're launching into a new collection of focus this month where we're going to be talking about the way ahead. Can you say that with me? The way ahead. There we go. Well said. I don't know about you, but I find it very easy to get lost at the best of times. Yes, my beautiful wife just, boy, that was really quick. You didn't give me a chance to grab a breath there. You just, what? See, she knows it because, see, I remember a time before Google Maps and before GPS. And I remember driving in Sydney for the first time with this huge, huge book that supposedly had all the maps that you needed to get around Sydney. And I remember finding that if you didn't keep that book updated year after year, if you ended up in a new part of the city, you were stuffed. (laughs) But see, even with the advent of Google Maps and everything else, I still find it easy to get lost. Here's how easy it is for me to get lost and lose track of things. When I go to a new Woolworths shop every time, I'm just overwhelmed by the decision and choice and the aisles that I stand there stupefied trying to read what's in the aisles every time. I never imagined this would happen to me. That I would be one of those people that stands at shopping malls and, and, and Woolworths and Coles and that and has to stand there and constantly read the aisles. And the, the crazy thing is I do that in the ones that I regularly visit anyway. <laughs> I, I get lost so easy. It's so easy to lose track of where things are. It is so easy in the sense of overwhelm and pressure and bombardment to lose sight of even the best intentions and directions. I'm convinced that the best way ahead is a way ahead where Jesus is taking the lead. But I'm constantly surprised in myself how easy it is for me to lose sight of what God's doing in my life. And I have to be reminded. You know, I wanted to submit a thought of what it means to live life with the way ahead clearly directed by Jesus. It says in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 1 to 4, the great Apostle Paul writing to a church in Ephesus is laying the groundworks for what it means to be an effective church. And he says to them, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. How encouraging is that? You were dead. Previous to acknowledging Jesus, previous to choosing to follow Him for yourself, previous to having the opportunity to tap hold of His direction for life. The Apostle Paul clearly lays it out. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed, listen to this, the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. 
All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. You know, I don't know about you, but in our culture today where it's easier for us to engage with the Bible for a devotional plan, that sometimes little verses like that get missed out. Because I've got to be honest, it's not particularly an inspirational verse. It's, it's not as powerful as Philippians 4.13, which says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That if we just engage with the Bible by looking for a little bit of a uptick here and there, we miss some of the context of what God is really trying to do in the lives of His people, which is deep-seated transformation and change. That it's laid out there that there was a way of life that was dead and the way of life that was dead was a way that was lived following the ways of this world. Now, that is not said in the sense of the world as in the world is the enemy and we're meant to get out there with picket fences and, and, and rock things up and, and, and make a presence felt in the most inappropriate ways. What it means there with the word the world, it means a broken system and way of life. Often when the Scriptures talk about the world, it talks about a way of life that takes us further and further away from the things of God. And all of us, all of us at one point of another were captivated in a dead way of life, which meant that we followed the ways of this world. And then what are those ways? In 1 John 2, 15 to 17, it sort of unpacks some of these thoughts of this ways of this broken system. The Apostle John writes, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. So we we live in this system of world, of, of, of life, of, of acting that is built around something that is at its core broken. Says the sort, the lust of the flesh, this constant need to meet my self-focused desires, never having enough to fulfil me. Living this life where, where my life exists to make me happy, but happiness does not exist because I need constantly more to fill that need. The lust of the flesh, It's something that can be never satisfied, but yet it's a way of life for so many. The lust of the eyes is this constant idea of, I can only be happy if I have what you've got. That you have a better phone than me, that you have better shoes, potentially. That you... (laughs) James Murphy has better shoes than me today. Come on, James Murphy. You have a better car, you have a better house. If I, here's the lust of the eyes. If I had what you had, I would be happy. But it doesn't work. It can't work because, because once I get it, all it takes is for me to look up my eyes and notice something else I don't have. You could have everything in the world and not have enough because it's broken. It doesn't work. So it's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. You know what the pride of life is? This way of the world where I am completely unteachable. Where I'm so convinced of my own ways that I'm not open to allowing God to even hijack me for the smallest of moments 
because I know enough. I have enough in myself and I know my own way. And this way of life leads people down a path where they live unfulfilled, empty, broken. You know, I had the honour with Rhiannon to live in Cambodia for a number of years. And one of the things we used to love to do was, I'd call it temple hopping, where we'd go exploring some of the different ancient temples, the ruins that were scattered throughout Cambodia, most of them up in the north in Siem Reap. But we found out about some that were still hidden in the jungle, not too far from where we lived in Phnom Penh. And so supposedly we see this map and you saw this massive area of jungle and with some of my best friends, we, we picked out this idea that we would take our dirt bikes and we would go exploring in the jungle. Yep, sounds exciting. And that we would go and find these temples that were still overgrown in the jungle. Because I love temple hopping. And so we get out in the morning and we've got our maps ready at hand and we are buzzing out there. We had so much fun driving up and down the embankments and through the mud and doing things that you do on motorcycles. And I think I crashed three times. And by the, end, by, by the time we got to lunchtime, we noticed that we were hopelessly lost and had no idea where to go. We were completely out of reception. Google Maps didn't work in the Khmer jungles at the best of times, but we couldn't even access it. And so all we could do was tap into our inner Bear grills. <laughs> no, we didn't eat raw liver. But what we ended up doing was we followed the one thing that we had on hand, which was this little trickle of a stream. We thought, surely that will take us somewhere. And so for the next hour, we just bird through the jungle, following this stream, trying to find our way out until we came up to a little shanty, a shack by itself, by the stream. By this time, we were desperately hungry too because we didn't pack enough food. As we pulled up, this lovely Kamai older gentleman greeted, greeted us at his door, invited us in to have a meal with him as we begged him to give us directions on the way out. He told us how close we were. We ended up seeing the temples. It was a great day. But the best thing about that day is we got to sit and have a meal with this man. See, he was off by himself, living off the land. He, he had nobody else around him, no family. And we struck up a conversation. How did you end up out here? What, why is this your way of life? And he started talking to us about the reality that in 1975, when he was, by his own memory and recollection, about 12 or 13 years old. He got caught up in an armed resistance called the Khmer Rouge. See, his friends had signed up for this armed resistance, this communist army, with the idea and the intention of bringing equality to their entire nation of Cambodia. And the thought was if they can come down from the jungle regions and storm the city of Phnom Penh and take over that would make it fair for everybody in this country to share of the wealth together. And so this gentleman who we're sharing a meal with told us about how he got caught up with this idea that he'd lived his life poor and abject and removed and he saw this opportunity to learn how to fire a gun and to be with his friends and to do something that he felt was going to make a lasting difference in his country. He became a child soldier. 
And he ended up storming the cities of Phnom Penh in 1975 with a huge group of his friends and others as they took over the nation of Cambodia. And over the next four years, they turned that nation into zero. As they stripped people of their responsibilities, their, their finances, their resources, people who wore glasses were executed and they took everybody out into the fields and forced everybody to become rice and subsistence level farmers. We're sitting here with this gentleman and he's crying. He's crying about the fact that he got so misdirected in his life that he ended up signing up for something that he had no idea where it was really going. And he regrets it and the things that he's done. And we were there and had the opportunity to talk with him and pray with him and honour him for the fact that his hospitality had saved us from chucking the bare grills all that night and led us back towards these beautiful temples that were covered in the jungle. And I'm mindful that we were led that way because we had that meal with somebody who'd lost their way. Do you know how easy it is to lose our way? To, to be convinced of ourselves that we know which way to go only to find out down the track that maybe it wasn't. And how easy it is to lose the signal that is necessary to live the best life possible. There's words that Jesus said that echo with me today as we talk about what it means to live with the way ahead in mind. It comes from the book of John chapter 14, verse 5 to 7. Jesus is just giving His last deep teaching for His disciples, these people who have followed Him for three years, been with Him, have eaten meals with Him on the side of the road, have enjoyed time with Him. I'm sure they've joked and laughed and learnt and seen and seen this man who is God, save people, heal people, restore people. Only for Him right now at this moment to prepare them for the reality that was coming, that He was about to be captured and unfairly trialled and punished for something that He never did wrong, so that He could have the opportunity to die on the cross for our sins. And as He's preparing His disciples, He lays down this teaching of what was to come, but ultimately what was in store for them and what was being made available for them. And one of His disciples, a man named Thomas, somebody who'd been following Him for a number of years, had the audacity to ask Jesus some questions which is okay, it is okay to ask God questions. It is okay to have a faith that is robust enough to allow you to unpack your heart, even your fear and your doubt with God Himself. He will not turn off to that. He will not turn His back to that. That is healthy to process things with God directly. This man Thomas had heard that Jesus was about to go ahead of the way and prepare a place for them in the Kingdom of God. And Thomas has a question in John 14, verse 5 to 7. Lord, Thomas said, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Which is a really important question. As Thomas is reconciling the fact that he's followed this man named Jesus for a number of years. And if what Jesus says is true, he's now about to go. And Thomas is grasping at stores. How am I going to get by? How am I going to know the way? I've, I've had this living, breathing Google Maps with me. Jesus, the Son of God. 
who I've been able to just follow along. And he's been able to lead me where to go and I have not set a foot wrong while I've had him with me. But now you're taking that away from me. Lord, Thomas says, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth and the life. I'm going to say that again. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will also know my Father. From now on, you do know him and you've seen him. Jesus is the way. The way there means the the way of thinking, the way of feeling, the way of deciding, the, the direction, the journey, that Jesus Himself is the way. He's not a way. He's not an optional extra. He's the definitive article. That the avenue to the greatest life possible is a life lived following the way. You know, for the early churches, they begin to spread out throughout the known world after Jesus was crucified and was buried and was resurrected and then ascended to heaven. That They were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, it says in Acts chapter 2, and started doing the very things that Jesus did Himself. And as they start living out this life, they started to refer them to themselves as something. But it wasn't a label as so easily can be used today. They didn't even use the word Christian because the word Christian hadn't been invented at that point. It was invented almost a decade later in a city called Antioch where people who are not followers of Jesus started to refer to followers of Jesus as Christians, but as a derogatory term. It was originally a term used to abuse and ostracise people. It was not a label that was meant to be promoted, put on a handle, put up on social media. But instead, what Christians referred to themselves as originally were followers of the way. The way to live is a way that Jesus has set up. Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He's not a truth. It's not just my truth. He is the living embodiment of truth. And whatever is my truth, I bow before Him because He is the truth. He is the life. The things that I think will satisfy me pale in comparison to what He has available for us because He is the very source of life itself. Jesus is the way. He is the truth and He is the life. As we prepare to power on into this month together, I want to lay forward three key thoughts as we set the scene on what it means to live in mind with the way forward and the direction that God would call us in as a people. First thought I want to submit is the way isn't a one-time decision, but a lifestyle built on daily decisions. Matthew 16, 24 to 26, Jesus says this, Then Jesus said to His disciples, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Deny means to abstain means to lay down, it means to surrender. To follow literally means to join with. 
Then Jesus said to His disciples, He's saying to us today, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will find it. For what will benefit someone if he gains the whole world, this whole broken system, this whole idea that's built on the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, yet loses his life? Or what will anyone give in exchange for his life? You know, I met Jesus on the 8th of March in the year 2000 when I prayed a simple prayer out of the back of a Gideon's Bible to ask Jesus to be my Lord and Saviour. I didn't even understand the words in the prayer when I prayed it, but it was as if Jesus walked into my room, knelt down next to me and put His arms around me. But see, it wasn't a one-time decision. The way was not what I did back then, so long ago. The way is a daily decision to follow Jesus today. Today, not the 8th of March in the year 2000, but what are we? November 6th in the year 2022. And that a way of life where it's a daily decision to follow Him. I remember going to church for the first time, the very first time. A few days after I'd met Jesus in my room and people were clapping and singing and raising their hands. I had no idea that that was even possible because I thought you needed to have a stained glass window and you needed to hush up and be quiet. And and I had no idea. And I remember the preacher opening up a prayer time at the end of the service for anybody to dedicate their heart to Jesus. And I was compelled to get up out of my seat and walk down the front and I did it again. But I'd already done it a few days ago, but I was so compelled to do it again because I needed this decision to stick. And then I remember going to a youth meeting for the first time the week after that. And I remember given the same opportunity. Somebody spoke. I have no idea what they spoke about. Must have been amazing. But they gave an opportunity for anybody who wanted to make a decision to follow Jesus for themselves. Now I'd already done it on the 8th of March. I'd already done it a few days later, but I needed to do it again. You know, I think for the first month or so that I was visiting church and engaging, I reckon I gave my life to Jesus about seven or eight times. Because it's not a one-time decision. The way is a lifestyle of daily decisions. To pick up your cross, Jesus, are you, are you joking? Where's the good news in that? Well, what if the good news is if I don't pick up my cross, I'll just lead myself down a path that will take me further and further away from a life that's lived without the reality of God and the victory He truly wants to have made through us. What if the way isn't a one-time decision, but a lifestyle built on daily decisions? Second thought I'd submit to you, the way isn't a moment to be remembered but an opportunity to experience and encounter God in our daily lives. It's not something to look back on and say that I've done it. It's something to be lived out through experience and encountering God in the day to day. And you can, you you can. You, You don't need to have to have studied certain things. You don't need to have had certain titles to your name. You can encounter the living God wherever you're at because He wants to draw near to you as you draw near to Him. Jesus said, again, in that teaching, that core teaching, as He prepared to go to the cross, as He's teaching His disciples like Thomas, what was ahead? He says to them in John 14, 15 to 17, If you love Me, you will keep My commandments. And I will ask the Father and He will give you another Helper 
Can you say helper? Say it like you mean it, helper. Come on, I need help. I desperately need help daily to live the type of life that is available. And Jesus says here, I will ask the Father and He will give you another helper. See, Thomas was about to lose his personal GPS. He was about to lose his Google Maps. He was about to lose Jesus who was going away. And Jesus says, it's better for you that I go because I'll ask the Father and He will send another helper to be with you for how long? Forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. But you know Him for He dwells with you and and will be in you. See, the way isn't a moment to be remembered, but an opportunity to experience and encounter God in our daily lives. Because as you enter in to the way, a lifestyle of daily decisions, what happens is God by His Spirit dwells in you and you can encounter and experience God for yourself. And it's meant to be real and active and growing. That you can encounter God when you're having a shower, as crazy as that may be. You you can encounter God as you're doing the dishes at night. You can encounter God as you're vacuuming the floors. You can encounter God as you dedicate time to prayer and reading the Word, absolutely. But you can encounter God in your day-to-day life because there is no separation between secular and sacred for Him. Everything is spiritual. Because wherever you are, if you've made the choice to follow Him, He is with you. In the midst of the overwhelm, in the midst of the situations and circumstances where you don't know the way and you can't work it out, He is there ready and waiting if you're willing to tap into Him and say, I surrender because I don't know the way. I can't make this up as I go. I need your help because He said He would send the helper, the one who would be with us, the Holy Spirit Himself. You know, as we can continue to go on with this month, I'm believing for a month of encounters. I'm believing for a month where as we worship God as a church, people will encounter God simply in the act of worship, simply because there are people around them worshipping God, surrendering everything that they have, and people will be compelled to encounter God because of that. In our prayer meetings, that people would be able to meet with God and experience God because there is so much more to life but we need to get above it and beyond it. We need to allow God to lift our perspective, to get off even from ourselves at times and to see what He's doing in and amongst us. Finally, I hesitate to say this, the way isn't lip service, but a lived in reality. The way isn't lip service, but a lived in reality. John 20, 24 to 29, just as we close. I need to finish this account of Thomas who started by asking Jesus, what is the way? This account of Thomas, he was so dismayed after Jesus went through what he went through. Jesus had been unfairly trialled, had been beaten, stripped of his clothing, beard torn out, crown of thorns put on his head. Thomas is dismayed having seen all that and then seen this man who he called the way, the Saviour, crucified and die, only to be buried. And then he hears news that Jesus is resurrected from the dead and he struggles to grab hold of it. 
as I imagine I might have in the same situation. And others have seen Jesus risen from the dead, but not Thomas at this point. And Thomas is one of those people that is very pragmatic, I believe. I believe it when I'll see it. It goes on in John chapter 20, 24. Now Thomas, one of the 12, who was called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my, so he doesn't just wanna see it, and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand onto his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. Meaning he appeared and said, peace be with you. You know that word peace there means everything as it should be in the will of God. It's not just calm down. Jesus actually came to give peace. Peace that surpasses all understanding. He said to His disciples, peace I give you, peace I leave you. Peace that the world doesn't understand. This broken system built on the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life can't grab hold of this type of peace. Everything as it should be in the will of God. Peace be with you. Then He said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it on my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. What an amazing response. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen, yet have believed. Now, long after that, Jesus ascended to heaven to the right hand of the Father. He told Thomas and his remaining disciples to stay in Jerusalem and wait for the Helper, the Holy Spirit, who would come and fill them so that they could do everything that Jesus did and more. Thomas was in the room on that day, the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came in like a rushing wind, filled them up, immersed them in a life lived on the way. And see, Thomas's way meant that he lived there in Jerusalem for a short short time. But here's the way that Thomas went. Not long after the first church got started, the way for Thomas diverted from the other apostles and disciples. And Thomas was led with a compulsion, it says in church tradition and history, that he left his homeland, Jerusalem and Judea, travelled by sea, the Mediterranean Sea, up to the Arabian Sea, and landed in a country called India that was not his own, who were not his people, all for the sole purpose that he would take the way with him as he went on the way. And Thomas, this man who did not believe that Jesus had risen from the dead, ended up giving everything he could to see people encounter Jesus for themselves. He went to India, talked about Jesus, helped people understand Jesus, pioneered the first churches in India where today even groups of people draw their faith all the way back to Thomas. It's an ancient church, an ancient faith. And Thomas 
would spend his days telling people about Jesus. Again, this man didn't believe. He, he wanted to touch the hand and the side. And once he had the encounter with Jesus, he was off on the way. And here's the way that Thomas went. That as the church is established in India, he came under immense persecution and attack and threatened at the end of a spear to stop talking about Jesus he made what many would consider in the world an irrational choice. A choice that was bounded in the fact that he had chosen to follow Jesus many years before. A choice that was bounded in the fact that he had chosen to follow Jesus daily. A choice bounded in the fact that for him, he had lived a life encountering and experiencing God for himself and could not deny the reality of who God was. A life that was lived on the way where it wasn't lip service, but a lived in reality and standing before these people that day with the threat of his life at hand. Stop talking about Jesus or die. He made a choice and he died. And to this day, there is a church built on his tomb in southern India because this man named Thomas was willing to follow the way. Now, I'm grateful for the fact that not many of us are going to be told to get up today and get a boat on the Mediterranean Sea and the Arabian Sea and leave everything behind like that or be threatened at the point of spear. But there's so much to the reality of living with God in our day to day that if somebody like Thomas was willing to give everything he had for the opportunity for people to encounter God for themselves. What more can we do here and now? That the prayers that you're lifting up for your family members who are far from God, that that is a transaction that is going deep into heaven and unlocking potential opportunities for them to have a softened heart to experience God for themselves. That we could be a people who, as we worship, the presence of God is expected and so thick that people can't deny the reality of God, that we're called to live life on the way. This isn't a show. It's a lived in reality. I know it's a different life, but it's the best life because God Himself desperately loves you and desires for you to experience Him. Thanks for listening to this message. We hope it has blessed you. If you would like to find out more about Awaken City Church, visit awakencity.com.au.